We're in Revelation chapter 16, and uh, okay, I, I, uh, I told you read 16 and 17, finish up 16 and 17. We're actually not going to get into 17 tonight. I want to <laughs> take some more, a little more time on 16, and I want to go back to a couple parables that Jesus gave, because it will be a while before we get back into a gospel. And, uh, and so we're, that's what we're going to be doing tonight in Bible study. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 17. Just a quick recap of what's going on here. We are in the final judgments being poured out on the earth. So this is it, chapter 16, the seven bull judgments. This is it for judgment on the earth. Some of you, like me, are exhausted of seeing judgments happen. And you're just like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to preach on it. I don't want to, you know, let's just talk about love and the gospel and so on. But you have to remember what the great tribulation is. The great tribulation time is a time of judgment Upon the earth. It's a time of God redeeming the earth itself to him. Claiming it back from Satan. And so that's what, that's what we're going to see happening. Uh, so that during this seven-year tribulation period is a time of judgment upon the earth. And so far we saw the judgment start out in Revelation with the seven seals being broken forth from the scroll. Every seal that was broken, there was a judgment that came with it. And there was always a pause between the sixth and the seventh. There was a long pause or silence in heaven and then the seventh one would come. So we had the, the seven seals being broken open which led into the seven trumpets. And with each trumpet there was a judgment. And now we have the seven bowl judgments. Now the bowl is kind of an interesting term. The, the bowl is kind of a shallow bowl, a simple bowl. And it's just, you know, dumped out. And that's really what's happening here in chapter 16. This bowl is just being dumped out and it comes with judgment. And these judgments are, are rapid in succession. They're, they are upon the whole earth, very different from like the trumpets, which would hit like a third of the earth. And they're upon the whole earth. And what we noticed last time was that man did not repent of their wickedness or give God glory, but instead they continued to blaspheme God. So here we are, and I'm going to recap the sixth bowl, and then we'll go get into the seventh this week. So let's start back at the sixth bowl and just uh, start there. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and it was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at that place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. I want to just take, last week we didn't really have time to talk about Armageddon. So I want to talk about that, the battle of Armageddon. And actually, the battle of Armageddon isn't really much of a battle at all. You know, when we hear about end times prophecy and uh, people talk about it, 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 the battle of Armageddon. But it's really not a battle. What's going to happen at Armageddon, at this, it's, uh, Megiddo is actually not really even a, a mountain. It's kind of a hill. And on that hill, there are different, it's actually an archaeological dig. It's a tell. Uh, and the word tell is is uh, anytime you have cities, ancient cities, they would build them right on top of each other. So when you dig down, you hit one layer and there's one city. And then you dig down and you hit some more layers. And the term for that is tell, 
I mean, this is an archaeological dig site, okay? So when you, when you see uh, sign, road signs in, in Israel or things like that, you'll see, tell this, tell Megiddo. And it just means like, here's where we're excavating all these different uh, cities or things uh, going on here in, in this place. So the, the hill of Megiddo is right there off the Jezreel Valley. And this valley is a huge valley. And this, this, in this valley, many wars have been fought in the Bible. We see it come up a lot. But now in the end times, it takes a special, there's a, a special battle that's going to be fought there. Actually, again, not really a battle, but a victory is going to be given there. And what we're going to see is all the armies, the kings of the east coming in to do battle against the Antichrist and against Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, the Antichrist set up a peace treaty. There was peace for a time. It was a false peace. We've already talked about how, how Satan promises peace, but it's not peace that we want. It's, it doesn't last and never lasts, and it always brings about guilt. It always brings about hardship in our lives. That peace is never lasting. Yet Jesus Christ, when he offers peace, it is peace and peace eternal because he actually has the power to secure peace for us. That's the difference between Satan and Christ. The other thing is Satan is selfish. Satan is, his goal is to kill, to devour, to harm. Where Jesus Christ's devour, or goal is to save and to rescue, to love, to cherish. Very different views. So we, we know that the Antichrist had set up a treaty that everybody was in the world finally for the first time ever saw this seemingly peace, uh, seemingly Peace happened in the world for the first time ever. Yet what we saw was persecution break out against the Jews. And then we saw persecution break out against those who wouldn't worship the beast or the image of the beast. And we saw them starting to kill everybody with that. So now we get to the Battle of Armageddon. The, and if you remember before this, the bull, there was a bull that uh, caused the sun to cause terrible burns on everybody, the sun got uh, obviously super hot. Now we have the river Euphrates dried up. And now I just want you to picture this for one moment because it would be really cool if this happened. Don't know if it will, but it would be really cool. The river Euphrates basically flows from Mount Ararat in Turkey all the way through the Middle East, cutting, cutting into two parts, the, the Fertile Crescent, and, and all the way out right by Kuwait, modern-day Kuwait. That's where the, the river Euphrates flows. At the end of the river Euphrates, that's where we think the original Garden of Eden would have been. Right there. By the Tigris and the Euphrates. Right there, kind of Kuwait area. Very possibly, of course, we don't know. And obviously there's been a lot of changes since that original Garden of Eden. But that's where sin started. And interestingly enough, that's where Babylon starts. That's where the Tower of Babel is erected. That's where God <laughs> divides up the earth. Uh, between languages or confuses the languages. And, and so that, that river Euphrates cuts across the west and the east. So everything east of the river, that's the east. Everything west of the river, that's the west. So don't think from an American perspective because for us, uh, the Americans are, you know, we, we are, <laughs> the world kind of revolves around us and everything should move around us. And so east would be China, west would be, uh, you know, the Atlantic Ocean and so on. Uh, but we're talking from the perspective of Israel, and east is I Iran, Iraq, the, all those things on the other side of the river, Euphrates. And then west is the Mediterranean Sea, and you have Italy, Rome, and so on, and Africa. 
So the river Euphrates dries up, but I wonder, I can't help but wonder, because Mount Ararat has these huge glaciers on it. It's supposedly the resting site of Noah's Ark. Uh, there's been some good reports that have come that very possibly Noah's Ark is up there, frozen in the ice, very treacherous, so it's, it's not something you can easily climb up and prove, but so there's enough evidence. If you look up, look it up, I, I actually think it's, that's where it's at on Mount Ararat. Uh, and, and I think they've actually found it there, uh, just like the Bible says. But uh, it'd be interesting with this scorching heat that comes from the, uh, this, this bowl that uh, gets poured out, it, it would be so interesting if you had, because obviously you'd have flood first, then dry up. But if, imagine if you just had this giant ark floating down the river Euphrates all the way out. Just, just a testimony to everybody. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it will happen, but I, I just, I really hope it does. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so what we have is the river Euphrates being dried up. We have these frogs coming up out of, out of the, uh, the whole unholy trinity, the beast, the false prophet, and, and the antichrist. And, of course, a frog is an unclean animal. It's representative of that unclean spirit. feel bad for John actually even having to witness this. But these unclean spirits go to move kingdoms. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Don't think for a moment that the kingdoms of this world are just moved by natural desires. I mean, the pride of man and the lust of his eyes and the desires of his flesh is very great. Don't get me wrong. But... But really, when we start to look at it, some of these things that just make no sense whatsoever, you, you just can't help but know that what the Bible says, that, that Satan is the ruler. Satan is the ruler of this world. And he is in control, and he moves people into power, and he moves people out of power. And Satan does this. Hitler, for instance, he was very heavily into the occult. He would consume consult mediums and spiritists for his battle plans. I, I definitely think there was some demonic influence over people like Hitler and Pol Pot and so on. These great uh, perpetrators of genocide. Y you must wonder, especially with the fervency they come against God's people and Christians. They hate them. And they especially hate the cross. But these unclean spirits, they go out and they raise up these kings to come towards Megiddo. And they come through the river Euphrates that is dried up. Note, though, it says, and they assembled them at that place, and Hebrew is called Armageddon. So what happens at Armageddon? Well, we're going to get to it in Revelation 19. What happens at Armageddon is everybody piles up for war. Jesus comes back on a white horse and fights them with the sword of his mouth. We're coming with them, clothed in white. This is going to be awesome. It's like, yeah, we're ready for battle. And Jesus speaks and they're all dead. And we're like, oh, that was it. That was all. It, was, it wasn't really a battle. Come on, I wanted to mix it up a little bit. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to have a story afterwards. Like, did you see that time when I was dodging? And, you know, there are no stories there. <laughs> Jesus just speaks. And, you know, rightfully so, this book, this book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. From start to finish, it, that is the key to understanding this book is making it about Jesus. Because when you understand it's about Jesus, then you're like, okay, it's all about him. So when he comes back, sure enough, none of us are going to take glory for battle. It's only going to be Jesus Christ the victor. It's all about Jesus. 
And so what we're going to see here is that Jesus comes back. So chapters 17 and 18 are just going to give us more information about Babylon and, and the, the, the prostitute. That, that, and we'll see that uh, next time I'm with you. We'll talk about Babylon and the prostitute riding the beast and everything like that. But that's going to give us more information during the tribulation. But here where we're at now, this is, this is, this is it. This is the final thing. And uh, we're going to see that there's really no battle at all. Interesting, though, that the kings of the earth will come against God. That at Armageddon, they're going to turn against God and their blasphemy. And their blasphemy, they're just going to, okay, we're ready to fight you. I, ever since I was young, when I would hear about the battle of Armageddon and, and pastors would talk about the idea of man coming against God, I thought that was so ludicrous. It just, that doesn't even make sense. Why would they think that you can take a tank against God? Amazing the pride of man, what it can do in us. I mean, we do it all the time, don't we, in our world? God, God is God, and with, by God's power, we breathe oxygen, and with that oxygen, we curse God or blaspheme him or say he doesn't exist. <laughs> That's what we do. We're foolish. The seventh bowl... The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, verse 17, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great. To make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plague was so severe. <laughs> this is crazy stuff. When I read this stuff, I go, what? <laughs> First of all, I mean, as we've been reading the judgments, we're like, how is anybody even surviving this stuff? I mean, this is so terrible. And now hear this final bowl. Notice the words, though, it is done. Does that jog a memory for you at all in Scripture at another time when it is finished was said? It does for me. It was on the cross. The cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, that wonderful cross, that wonderful place of Calvary where my sins were taken upon him, the righteous one, that wonderful cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. The work of redemption is done. I'm so happy I know Jesus Christ. Because I know him, I don't have to worry about the cup of his wrath. This special vintage wine filled with his wrath that it talks about here for Babylon. Because when it says it is done the second time, it's all about judgment. And him taking back everything. It is done. Flashes of night, rumblings, pills of thunder, great earthquakes such as never been seen before. You know, when we read this stuff, we kind of tend to think like, well, is it, could that really be possible? I mean, we've never seen anything like that. Just for a moment, think about the earth. The earth was never designed to last. I mean, I'm sure before sin it was. But now after sin, what we see is not an earth lasting. We see an earth running out. We see plate tectonics happening. We see crashing. Uh, last year when I was at, uh, in Kathmandu, they, they were kind of bummed because the Mount Everest shrunk a foot. 
It came down a foot. And so they don't know that they'll have the tallest mountain in the world very soon here because they're expecting more earthquakes. And so what we see is these mountains, these great mountains, all these things coming down. We see things wearing out. We don't see things becoming new on our planet. What we see is, is death taking its toll. The sinful world produced by us. I'm going to take a drink this time. And so when we think about these things, could they really happen? Let me just jog your memory for a moment about something else that we thought could never happen. Now, maybe some of you who are younger, and of course I don't remember this happening, but, but maybe this will, you, you've never really thought about this, but May 14th, 1948, very special day in biblical history. And you're like, wait a minute, the Bible you know, was written a long time ago. What's, what's up with May 14th, 1948? That was the day Israel became a nation again. That was the day that Israel was given back land and its sovereignty. Up until that point in time, from the time of the, actually, we can go back, from the time of the Babylonian captivity, which by Nebuchadnezzar, actually before that, because they were already paying tribute, Israel was was not sovereign. We're talking 600 years prior to Christ, Israel had lost its sovereignty and was being ruled and trampled upon by the Gentiles for that 600 years, Christ come, they're still under Roman oppression. They're still not their own. And then in 70 AD, Titus Vespasia comes in and he annihilates the city of Jerusalem. And then from there, it just starts getting traded around by different Gentile groups, never again being to Israel. In um, World War I, what we see, well, we see the Ottoman Empire take over Israel for, for a long time, over a thousand years. They, they're in charge of Israel running it, or the, the Levant, we'll call it, the Palestinian area. And we see the Ottomans running it, the Arabs having control of it. Then in World War I, of course, the Ottoman Empire we know fell apart, and then the British took it over. Now, prior to World War I, something interesting about the British, the British were actually pushing for Israel to have a state again. Then in World War I, the British took the territory. Interesting, the British no longer pushed for Israel to have a state again. They had lost that, that desire. World War II happens, and then the U.S., this is our part in biblical history, we started pushing for Israel to become a state again. And then they decided to declare Israel a state and give them back land and stuff. That doesn't happen in our world. When nations fall, we don't see them coming forth and saying, here, have land back. We're going we're gonna to cordon this off. We're going to tell this country, no, you can't have it. There's another country just like that, Tibet, right? Tibet doesn't exist anymore. And it won't. And the Dalai Lama knows he will probably be the last Dalai Lama. It, 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 you don't see this in history where a nation who had been, has been displaced, their land conquered, kicked out, becoming a nation again. In fact, Augustine, one of the reasons why he promoted a millennial view of the old end times was because the Jewish nation didn't exist anymore. Israel didn't exist. So Augustine looked at it as a, okay, this is, this is allegorical. This is speaking about spiritual Israel, not literal Israel. But those who trusted the Bible and said, no, God means what he says, says what he means. We're going to wait on Israel to become a nation again. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And, and we see that 
if God does that, why are we going to balk at any of these other things? All these things that seem impossible, but this is what's going to happen. The seventh angel pours out his bowl, and what are we going to see? We're going to see a giant earthquake such as never before. And we're going to see every, I mean, this is, this is intense. Look at it. We're, we're going to see uh, every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. We're going to see a complete restructuring of the earth. I like, uh, I like uh, kind of chaos into the world movies. I, they're, I don't know. I like watching them. Because <laughs> when I'm watching these movies, I'm like, what would I do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I'd probably die. But anyway, if I didn't die, what would I do? And uh, th- there was a movie, I think 2012, uh, that came out a couple few years ago. And we had a youth event where we watched 2012. And um, somebody had given me, oh, I think it was actually Ben, had given me a bunch of airline life preservers. So uh, when the kids came in, I gave them all an airline life preserver and, like, put it on, you know. <laughs> like, we all wore these airline life preservers while watching the movie. And, of course, the way the movie ends, like, the, the whole world is falling apart, restructuring. And, of course, they, they credit it all to, you know, natural disasters and so on. And, and as the world's falling apart, uh, there's, a, there's a group in China who's, uh, the United Nations have figured out they're going to build these giant boats that are basically arcs. And then everybody, they're going to save a select group of people to repopulate the earth again. So they, the, uh, they, they basically get in these giant arcs and, and so on. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fun disaster movie. But uh, <laughs> here, and this is really what happens. All, everything that were mountains, the mountains are gone. The islands are gone. The whole earth is restructured in the movie. And, and when, I, when I read this part of Revelation, I'm like, okay, I know where they got their idea from. It's right here. No mountains were found. All the, all the islands have fled away. Uh, we're going to see the great city split in three. Now, what is the great city? This is kind of interesting because when we look at this passage, it says the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great. So we're tempted to ascribe the great city to Babylon the great. Um, and that's kind of a, a challenging thing because Babylon's not so great today. And I know there's, there's uh, viewpoints that, that Babylon will be rebuilt in Iraq. Saddam Hussein actually wanted to do that, uh, but he's no longer around uh, or in power uh, but, uh, or around. So <laughs> I was just thinking about current events. So, <laughs> so uh, but, but here's the interesting part. Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Turn back with me just a couple chapters in Revelation to chapter 11. Remember those two witnesses, those prophets? Look what it says. Remember they were, they were killed. And verse 8, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. Well, there it is. So what's, what's the great city? Jerusalem. So that's why I think the great city here is Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, you could say, well, maybe it's not Jerusalem, maybe it's something else. But, but I, think, I think it is Jerusalem. And, and the reason why John uses that term earlier for, for, for in Revelation, we also see it happen in the Old Testament where it refers to Jerusalem as the great city. So I'm going with that in my interpretation. So that great city there is split in three. Now we know when Jesus comes back, he's going to land Anybody know where he's going to land? Where they're setting out the, the, the run, running lights for him and, you know, flagging him down? Anybody know? 
he's going to land right on the Mount of Olives. And we know, he's, we know the gate he's going to come into, which is no longer a gate right now. It's been sealed up and walled off. But that city is going to be split in three. I mean, he's going to come down. Boom. <laughs> Everything's going to split. Earthquake happens. And, and it's interesting because we're even told that every eye will see him. When we think about that, how is everybody going to know when Jesus comes back? Well, he's going to do it in such a way you and I are not going to, well, we're not going to miss it. We're going to have a better seat. We're with him. But, but all peoples on earth are not going to miss this. So we don't have to, if we hear, oh, he's out in the desert, we don't go out to the desert. If we hear he's over here, Messiah's come back, we don't go over there. If we hear he's in Africa, if we hear he's at a compound in Texas, we don't go there, okay. We know that that's not Jesus. Jesus, when he comes back, we're all going to know it. And every eye is going to see him. As far as lightning can be seen from the east to the west, we're gonna, everybody's going to see it. So we're going to see Jesus come back. And, and with that, he's coming to do what he, to fulfill the rest of those messianic verses. And that's ruling with the rod of iron. He's going to set up his reign and his rule. The, then we have these 100-pound stones falling from hailstones, falling from heaven. We were up in the Sierras last, last uh, summer, and um, it did something kind of cool. It started grappling. And I didn't know what grapple was until Nancy Myers told me what grappling was. And then and I know what grapple is, and I feel really cool, and I'm in the club, and too bad for you guys. So grappling is not hail, and it's not snow. It's that in-between point. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought hail was the in-between point of rain and snow. Well, there's another thing called grapple, and it's like, it's almost like little ice balls that are almost snow. It's like, I think I can, I think I can, but they can't quite. And so it's before the snowflakes, and these little balls fall down in the Sierras. And it's really cool. These balls are falling everywhere, and, you know, we're, like, out there in the rain. But I think about being out there, and all of a sudden, 100-pound hailstones falling down. And I'm like, <laughs> the that would be insane. I know what a 50-pound bag of ice feels like, and I wouldn't want that dropping on me from the heavens, let alone 100-pound hailstones. He's falling on it. But it's interesting because you, you know what the penalty is in the Old Testament for blaspheming God? Being stoned. Being stoned. God's just, <laughs> hey, I told you the penalty. Here it comes. He's stoning everybody himself. And, and that's how he's coming back. So this is a severe judgment. Now, I want to focus tonight. Uh, well, I've already almost focused. So don't worry. We're not just starting the sermon. That was beyond the introduction. So, but I want to get back to this passage we talked a little bit about last week. Verse 15. Jesus giving this little parenthetical statement for you and for me, the reader of this, the one who, before this rapture happens, before everything kicks off, as we read these terrible judgments coming down and we read the, the unrepentant heart of man and just this awful time that nobody wants to see or be a part of, Jesus gives us this warning, behold, I am coming like a thief, blessed is the one who stays awake, keep his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. I want to talk about this one more time and turn over to Matthew 25. Now, first thing I want to say, Jesus is not the thief. No. Jesus is, his coming is like a thief. That's what we have to understand. For those who are unaware, those who are not ready, it will be like a thief. 
my friend John Schroeder has a property out in the desert, uh, which we go out to. We'll be out there for the men's retreat. And uh, several times over the years it's been broken into. And, and uh, it's just a, such a heartache because John is so giving with his property. And, and, it, and he wants people to come out and stay and ride motorcycles and have a great time and, and have Bible studies out there. And so he's just really, this, this property is for the glory of God. And uh, every time it gets broken into, it's a great loss to him. And, and if only we knew when they were going to come because we'd be ready for them. We'd, we'd, all, we'd know when those thieves are coming. We'd, okay, we're going to wait for them and we'll trap them and, and do some cool stuff, finally. So, but, uh, you know, it seems like every time they come out and steal, they come right after somebody leaves. So they know. In fact, John even thinks he knows who these guys are, but there's no way to prove it. Because there's no electricity out there or anything like that. You can't set up cameras. He did set up fake cameras and they just went and smashed them. But if only you knew when that thief would come, you wouldn't have to suffer the loss. You'd be ready for the thief's coming. You'd be ready for them and, and, and it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be caught off guard. Jesus equates his coming like a thief. Something that can catch people off guard if they're not ready. Now, for you and for me, it doesn't have to be like a thief. And that's why I want to look at this parable. In chapter, at the end of chapter 24, Jesus says, uh, he says this. He says, I'm going to go to verse 47. Truly, I say to you, he will set him, him oh, sorry, go to verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him in with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus had just finished talking about his second coming. He had been giving the Olivet Discourse, talking about when the disciples had asked, when are you going to come? And then he gives this parable of, of this wicked servant. And one of the first things he says is, hey, if, if this wicked servant starts saying, oh, Jesus isn't coming back for a while, and he starts abusing others and taking advantage of them, when Jesus does come back, it's going to be a rude awakening for the servant. Because we're going to find out that servant is not claimed by the master. In fact, the exact opposite. He's put out into darkness. Now, verse 20, going to chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. Okay, first thing I wanted to key in on, the kingdom of heaven will be like. You and I, we want to be part of the kingdom of heaven. That's, a, that's an important thing. If you're not part of the kingdom of heaven, listen, dear friends, make yourself a part. Get a passport. Get on board. Become a citizen of heaven. And you're like, well, how do I do this? Well, it's pretty simple. You just accept what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. You say, Lord, I'm ready to follow you. I repent of my sin. I'm following you. I want what you did for me on that cross. I accept your gift of forgiveness. That's how you become a kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. 
And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, at first thing, you and I are going to look at that and go, well, that's kind of messed up for these ones who didn't get let into the feast. This parable is not for you and I to understand the goodness and the love of God. Rather, to understand we are to be ready. We're to be servants found ready, not caught off on guard. So that's the first thing I want you to realize. That's what we're, we're focusing on in this parable. The second thing I want you to, to look at here is the story of how this unfolds. This is totally not like what we do in our culture. But in, there, in, in the first century Palestine, when a marriage was coming, you, the groom would go away and he would leave some attendants with the bride. And actually the attendants were kind of in charge of the bride's purity. They kind of wanted to make sure she was pure and nothing happened, no funny business happened. And, um, and it was kind of just a, a, a ceremony that they would do. But then the bridesmaids were sitting there waiting for the bridegroom to come. It was kind of like this a herald would come down the street and it would come off guard. And it, was, it was really a fun thing. It was kind of a celebration. You just don't know when the bridegroom's coming and the party's going to break out at any moment. And generally they happened on Wednesday nights, which is kind of interesting. So Wednesday nights were generally the night that they would happen and, and the bridegroom would come and people would announce it. Everybody started celebrating and everybody went into the feast, but they were met by the, the, these attendants waiting for the bridegroom to come. In this parable, we have these women, 10 of which are supposed to be out there waiting for the bridegroom. These virgins waiting for the bride, these maidens waiting for the bridegroom to come. But five of them don't bring any batteries for their flashlight. I mean, this is what we're talking about, a lamp, you know. This lamp is super bright. It's like, I mean, you know, you can just cruise around. It, if, if I need a flashlight, I need a flashlight because there's no lights, right. I need to be able to see what I'm doing. And if I say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll go cave exploring with you. Um, and, and we'll go spelunking. But I don't bring any batteries because I shot them out into the church floor. And I show up and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go cave exploring. It's fine. You can leave it there. Uh, Art, thanks. I wish I had your comedic value. I could say something really awesome, your comedic timing. So if I say I'm ready to go, I'm not really ready. But I brought a flashlight. I'm ready to go. No, but, but you didn't bring what makes the flashlight work. You're not ready. In fact, if anything, you're completely unprepared because the fact is if we get down in that cave and my light goes out or we get separated, you won't find your way out. I was, uh, in 2000, I went to Italy with my wife and we went to the catacombs and um, this is true to Dave Johnson form, um, what happened next. (laughs) By the way, I do not exaggerate these things. You can ask my wife. So the first thing they tell us as we're getting ready to go into the catacombs is, now, don't get separated from the group because you will not find your way out of these things. They're just amazing. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's really dark. It's kind of on the outskirts of, of the, the old city. And uh, so we go down the tombs and we're exploring. And I have a, a, a video camera and I'm trying to get, like, fooling around with the video camera, trying to see if the night vision, because back when Sony cameras came with night vision, I'm trying to, like, play around with it. And I'm, like, 
looking over here, looking over here. I turn around and everybody's gone. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Lori's going to be so mad at me. I wasn't worried about my own safety. I'm worried about my wife getting mad at me. Because <laughs> that does have to do with my safety. But, um, but, but I'm under there looking around trying to figure out which way to go. And there's three possible ways I could go. So I did the spiritual thing and forgot to pray. No. <laughs> I, I, this is what I did. I was like, oh, Lord, help me out here. And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to listen for no. And it's totally dark. I just have this night vision camera. Well, anyway, I, found, I caught up with the group eventually. And my wife's like, where were you? Don't you know those dangers? I was like, oh, honey, I know what I'm doing here. You know, how <laughs> to play it cool. But going into caves without the batteries is no good. And showing up, waiting for the bridegroom without any oil in your lamp, you might as well not care. You, what you're actually saying is, I don't really believe he's showing up tonight. Because if I did believe he's showing up tonight, I'd be ready. Sadly, Christians, we've lost some of our urgency. We've forgotten to be prepared. We've forgotten to set ourselves apart as holy, being ready for his coming. In fact, we end up defiling ourselves with this world. <laughs> you know, I was having a discussion with somebody about a current movie that's out. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm telling you what to do and don't do because I'm not the police. I'm not spiritual police. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But this is a challenge and something for you to think about. I was talking to somebody about this movie Deadpool that is out right now. And a lot of Christians are talking about seeing it. And I, I went online to PluggedInOnline.com. You can go on there, read a whole review and it tells you everything that's in it. And this movie looks awful. It's rated R. It's a Marvel comic book movie. And, and, uh, and, and every Christian I've talked to about it, I said, yeah, that doesn't look like a good movie. You know, it looks like he does a lot of really evil stuff. And like, well, you understand, he's not a hero. Like, that is some sort of a, <laughs> that's supposed to convince me that I should go watch this thing. And, uh, and some of you guys probably, oh, that's not even on my radar to watch. But, but I know for many of you younger people, it is on your radar to watch. And here's my question for you. If I asked you, how much time have you invested in God's word this week? Have you been reading God's word? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Would you say yes? Yet you say, I'm going to go pay for evil and to go take part in evil. And, and I understand censorship is tough and where do you draw the line. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into that. But what I'm trying to do is challenge you to ask the right questions. Are you ready? Do you have oil in your lamp? Are you setting yourself apart for Jesus coming? Or are you really not expecting him? Because when I read about the movie, the things that were in it, so many foul words, not only just foul language, but the, the discussion topics, pornographic material. And so my question was, well, what makes it a pornographic movie? What is the difference? Well, is it the acting? Because you have better actors? Christians. Don't mix yourselves and defile yourselves with the world, but be set apart. Now, I'm not telling you to leave the world and exit the world. We know, we know that we have to be a part of this world. We know we have to evangelize this world. But what are you taking part in? Maybe the reason the world cannot see Jesus is because you are not a light. You haven't brought any oil in your lamp. 
Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to beat you up. (laughs) This is as convicting for me as it is for you probably. But I'm just saying that this is what the word calls us to. It calls us to be set apart. If we hang out with the wicked, if we choose to live with the wicked, why would you be surprised if you're mistaken with the, as a wicked person? Have you ever thought about that? Danny Loya, I heard a story about Danny Loya this week while we were sitting in the hospital. And Danny Loya got arrested one time. He actually went to jail. And I was like, Danny Loya, got, how is that even possible that Danny Loya got arrested? Because if you know Danny Loya, which you will get a chance to know him because we'll make a big to-do and you'll get to know him. If you know Danny Loya, he's the sweetest guy in the world. And he's funny and he always has the great moral anecdote for everything. I'm telling you, he just will give you this illustration. You're like, wow, that's so good. And um, Danny Loya was coming home one night. He used to sell T-shirts and things at fairs and do airbrush work and stuff. And he was coming home from, the, uh, from uh, one of the f- uh, swap meets or fairs he was working at. And he missed his exit and went an exit further. I think he got off at First Street or Grand in Santa Ana. And when he gets off the freeway, he sees, he's really tired. It's kind of very early in the morning, late at night, you know. And he sees a, a man beating up a woman. So, so he... he kind of pulls over and yells at the guy, and then he yells at him again. Finally, the guy flees, and he goes over to see if the woman's okay, and, and he, he's trying to see if the woman's okay, and actually the woman wasn't really a woman. She was a man dressed as a woman, but anyway, Danny still did the right thing. Anyway, he, he, brings, her, he, he brings him into the car, and uh, he says, hey, tell me where you live. I'll take you home. And so he's driving this person home. And the reason the person was getting beat up in the first place was they stole some drugs or whatever from the other person. And, and so Danny takes, takes him to the home. And they're, they're walking in. He's making sure she, she, he gets inside. And, and, he, and he drops him off. And he realizes all of a sudden then the police come swarming in and they do a whole bust on this household. Danny gets arrested and it's on early Saturday morning now. He goes to jail. Felicia's freaking out. Where's my husband? Where's my husband? She's calling her all around trying to figure out where's my husband. And this is before cell phones and pagers. There was a time when cell phones didn't work. And by the way, a pager is a little thing that you wore. On, never mind. Anyway. So, <laughs> so Dan- Danny is, uh, he's arrested. He's sitting in jail and he's trying to tell people, wait a minute, I'm not with this. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not with this drug house. And, and, and no one believes him. Because the fact is, he's hanging out with the wicked. Now, he wasn't hanging out with the wicked. He was actually trying to do something righteous. But, but, but he was with the wicked. He's mistaken with the wicked. And he's sitting there in jail trying to get them to listen to him. But they, you'll have your date on, in court. On, you'll, you'll have your time to say who you are in court on Monday. He's like, what? And so uh, Felicia ends up calling a friend who she had met through a, another church event, a, a retreat event. And uh, he happened to be a, a sheriff, uh, the, the sheriff, or, or somebody high up in the sheriff's department, and he basically was able to call and say, have this person released. And the sheriffs were all kind of wondering, like, why, do, why is this guy special? Why does he want him out so quick? And so, so they basically booted Danny to the curb and said, don't come back. Don't, and his whole file disappeared and everything. <laughs> it was a blessing. But dear Christians, I say this so you aren't mistaken with the wicked. Set yourselves apart. Don't cast your lot in with the wicked. Don't choose to hang out with them. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
for you'll be filled. Filled. That's what Jesus said. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be satisfied, filled up. I like the term for full in Spanish. I learned it down in Chile and Paraguay and everywhere else I go in South America. Estoy satisfecho. I'm totally satisfied. Please stop trying to feed me. <laughs> so, I one time said I liked Milanesa and, and they made me like five of them. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't like Milanesa anymore. <laughs> do not cast your lot in with the wicked. Be set apart. Here's the challenge. What do you do about censorship? This is what you do. You bring it before the Lord. I can't tell you what to take part in, what not to. I can't tell you that. But the Lord can. And his wisdom is a lot better than mine. Bring it before the Lord. Let him lead you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this night. And God, we want to be prepared. We don't want to be caught unaware. Lord Jesus, we're ready for your coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, empower us to be lights. Give us your Holy Spirit. Let us be focused on holiness. We thank you. If anyone is in this room tonight and you... You know you've cast your lot in with the wicked. You know judgment is coming. Listen, I want you to pray this prayer. Don't put it off. Pray this prayer. Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I need, I'm ready to follow you. You pray that prayer and know this. You are saved. You've crossed over from death to life, the Bible says. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your graciousness with us, your patience, your wonderful Holy Spirit who just leads us softly, whispering in our ears. Let us be attentive to, to your words. Let us just really teach, our, teach us to listen to your voice and not this world's. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.